here, there, and everywhere. This is the Hockey Flow. Thanks for joining us. I'm Adrian Cordero, and of course, you know our key principals, Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico, who you can both find on Twitter. Adam can be found at really Adam B, and Mark can be found at scrimmagestats.com, and of course, at the Hockey Expert. So let's get right into it. A singular win. One, the donut is finally broken. We're so excited. I know. Wow, the standards have fallen. In any case, Adam, how far have they fallen? <laughs> They've fallen, that's for sure. Um, yeah, we got we got a win <laughs> against Detroit on Saturday. A, I would call it a blowout win, um, if I can even say that. But um, yeah, we got a win. We're down to. I'm trying to find the standings here to one and six on the year. So I guess we have to cheer for that win. Right, Marco? <laughs> Wait, actually, there's one there's one thing to cheer about, and that's Perot getting a hat-trick on Bell Center Ice on a Saturday night. I guess that's the only bright side to the Hab season so far. Yeah, I mean, that was a nice moment, which is, which is great. Uh, but I, I'm just... I think that that was like a... A flash in the pan moment for everyone to kind of just relax, but I think the problem is still kind of there. Uh, I don't think that that win against Detroit, especially the, you know with the fact they didn't have their best player, Tyler Butuzzi was still in Detroit because he couldn't cross the border. That affects the team. Uh, Jakob Vrana is also out to start the season, so they don't have their full team. It's a young team. They're going to be prone to blowouts like this, and their goalie just did not play well. And then last night, when they played a goalie that was actually on his game, well, they couldn't get many pucks by him because they, you know, the little trick plays or those lucky plays in front of the net where the goalie loses the puck. Well, that didn't happen this time because Grubauer was on his game. So, I, you know, sometimes you're going to beat the lower end teams of the league and by a large margin, but I don't think it erases the other five games. Would you even call Detroit a bottom tier team at this point? Like they've surprised. Oh yeah, without those players, guaranteed they're a bottom tier team. If they had Verana, if they had Bertuzzi for every single game, uh, it's a different team. That's two top six players that you'd be adding to the roster. So it's it, and you could assume that uh, Thomas Grease is going to play better, or Nedeljevic would end up playing. So, guaranteed, the goaltending couldn't be worse. So, I, I believe the next game versus Detroit will be a tighter game than the last one. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, and the Habs are going to be, we're going to touch on it later. They're going on that West Coast road trip. Um, yeah, they started yesterday, actually, with a 5-1 loss to Seattle. Um Honestly, did you have you guys even stayed up to watch the game? I watched the first period. Uh, I stayed and watched till it was four one, and then went to bed. And yeah, from top to bottom, I just uh, the the execution, the 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 tenacity, the effort level just was not there. Um, you could see it clear as day. A team that is based on effort in in the Seattle Kraken doesn't have very many top-end talents, but even their top players on their team were playing with hustle, speed, first of the pucks, 
They were attacking the play. They weren't waiting for it. And in doing so, they controlled most of the pace in that game. And it wasn't close even from the get-go. How about Montreal? What's any, like, we're seven games in. We're one and six. We mentioned it. Any, like, red flags? Like, for me, I see a couple. I mean, <laughs> I mean Suzuki, right? Yeah, AJ's out. <laughs> he looks like a red flag for those at home. He's just all in red today, so that, Damn, that's that fitting. Damn, that is crazy. Good call. So, yeah, no, there's a few red flags. I mean, if you look at a guy like Ben Sherrod, he's been a, a serious red flag for me in terms of his defense. Nick Suzuki's offense is a red flag. I don't quite understand what's going on. I'm not as worried about Caulfield as I am Suzuki. Caulfield is a bit, you know, not producing points. It's not his fault. He's doing, you know, practically anything and everything that a winger should do to generate offense. It's just not going in with his teammates or himself. Suzuki, on the other hand, I feel like he's just being weighed down by a lot of inefficient teammates. Like, Having Brendan Gallagher with Nick Suzuki is a surefire way to make sure that Nick Suzuki doesn't produce right now because Brendan Gallagher is the biggest red flag on this team right now. Just starting year one, uh, $6.5 million a year, no movement clause, uh, another five seasons, I believe, of this. It's, you know, it, it can get dangerous pretty quickly. And if he doesn't start turning it around quickly and if he doesn't start playing with the same intensity he's known for, um, not only is it going to be a long year in Montreal, I think that it's going to be a very long contract for Brendan Gallagher. He's, uh, yeah, for the next five years, well, six years counting this one, he has a no trade clause and a no movement clause. So that's your, I mean, it's Gallagher. He's pretty much going to end up in Montreal for the rest of his career but that's wow 6.5 that's a big cap hit for what he brought so far yeah it's it's gonna be tough honestly it's uh it's gonna be a toughie um, i'm really interested to see how it's gonna turn out but uh but they really need to get it together because unfortunately the cohesion is just not working jumping now to a completely different subject that is so dark and unfortunately we have to cover because it, it does affect quite widely the field of hockey but that is the Chicago Blackhawks situation with the report being released earlier today. And we now know that GM Stan Bowman, Al McIsaac, they've been turfed out of the Chicago Blackhawks organization after they buried the horrible sexual assault allegations. Uh, Marco, I'm going to throw it over to you to start us off. What is the first thing we need to know just to dive into the subject? Okay, so basically this story was uh, in 2010. Uh, one of the players um, playing in junior that was called up to Rockford and then eventually the black aces of the Chicago Blackhawks during that run uh, was sexually assaulted by a coach uh, by the name of Brad Aldridge, um, who was like a developmental coach. Uh, basically, what would be the word in this case? Uh, threatening his career and his well-being uh, if he didn't comply with his, require his requirements. Uh, and then so you know, coalesced to his desire. That led us to this situation where this was not brought up immediately. It was eventually brought up to a coach a few days later. This coach then brought it up to the president. Uh, at that point, I believe it was McDonough uh, that was the president. And they held a meeting. That meeting consisted of Stan Bowman, 
McDonough. I'm Mick Isaac, who is a senior VP of hockey operations. Um, Coach uh, John Quenville, uh, assistant general manager Kevin Cheveldayoff. Um, so already in that group of people, there's a lot of names that are no longer with the Blackhawks but hold a lot of clout. Uh, and in that meeting, they were divulged by Coach, uh, I believe, Paul Vincent, um, the totality of that story. And because it was right before the Stanley Cup final uh, and the Blackhawks hadn't won a Stanley Cup in, I believe at that point it was almost 40 years, um, all eyes were on the Cup and they decided to shelve that story for the time being because it's the Cup, apparently. That's a good enough reason. Um, unfortunately, what that did uh, is it led to <laughs> that being put off for three weeks before anything was done. The Chicago Blackhawks went on to win the Cup um, everything was great. And the day after the cup was awarded to the Chicago Blackhawks, then McDonough decided to finally address this with HR. By that point, they had uh, given an ultimatum to Brad Aldrich. Uh, we're going to do an internal investigation or you're going to resign. And Brad Aldrich chose to resign, but not before receiving a glowing recommendation from the Chicago Blackhawks organization to go and work at Miami University in Ohio. Um, in the meantime, the player that he sexually assaulted, uh, formerly known as John Doe, uh, for those of you who want to know his name, you can go and search it. Um, his career was absolutely ruined. Uh, he continued to be bullied on the ice even after the fact uh, by teammates, by other coaches. Um, and eventually found his way outside of the league and has now been playing in Europe for some time. Uh, but, you know, really good vindication for him. Um, finally able to put all of that away. It happened a decade. Um, so Lord knows being able to live with that for, for 10 years. Uh, he's able to, to turn the page today. So I think that's what needs to be taken here is that, you know, justice was served. And at the same time, we still have a lot to learn as a, as a sport as to what to do in the right moments and how to do away with this idea of the old boys club. And, and that's just the, the recent news we got from that, from the actual report. Um, and I think it's important to note that there's still, there's still probably going to be repercussions, right? Like we have shovel day off the GM, uh, the jets GM, we have Quenville, coaching the Panthers who uh, I, I believe the report basically contradicted statements they gave before it was public so now it's oh yeah he, he full on said that he knew nothing of it then it was proven that he did and then he doubled down on it today and he's still coaching but meeting with um, Gary Bettman tomorrow so wow But he gets the so coach he's coaching tonight. tonight, but getting the meeting. And it's tomorrow. like that's yeah, exactly, exactly. Just very weird. Um, and the same thing with Kevin Chevel Dayoff. They're meeting on Monday, and it's like, sorry, what is there to talk about? <laughs> like you know what you need to know. Like exact your discipline if there's going to be any, or or like what? What difference does it make? that you have to speak to them. You already know their side of the story. You can subpoena the report and gain access to that since it affects your league. Um, what? <laughs> this is, this screams 
no consequence to me. I feel like there's going to be absolutely no consequence to these individuals. They're going to be part, uh, just cogs in the wheel that were being turned by upper upper management, uh, and they just happen to be there. Um, which, I mean, is fair. But when you're presented that and no one talks about it for three weeks, yeah, you're all at fault at that point. So it's going to be interesting to see what the league does. But I, and, and I don't mean to be a pessimist at all, but I just don't see it happening. And I hope I'm proven wrong next week, but I just don't see them getting any form of discipline whatsoever. Well, let's hope that's not the case. But nonetheless, uh, and also to add to the story, the Blackhawks organization was fined $2 million, a small price when it comes to what the abuse that took place. So gross. New Jersey got fined $3 million for Kovalchuk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, we also know that uh, Susan Loggins, who's the lawyer that's representing um, the player in question, will be meeting with the team as of next week to discuss settlements. Uh, so we'll hopefully that he'll also get some financial uh, remuneration on this. But again, it doesn't change the fact of the horrifying abuse that took place both before, during the incident and then after the incident. I, I'm still shocked that players... This, again, this is not some random uh, bunch of chuffas. These were Stanley Cup winning teammates and they treated this person like absolute crap. And it's it's just a travesty all around. And I'm terrified that I might join you in your cynicism, Marco, that nothing might actually change because of this, because it is still the old boys club. All right, let's now transition to something completely different. Uh, let's talk about uh, Kucherov and the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's set to admit eight, uh, miss eight to ten weeks uh, because of a procedure. Adam, you brought the story to our team. Why don't you bring us up to date? That just starts to feel like last year all over again, right? The people were complaining at, at the beginning of the year on Twitter that, that the Habs were using up cap space, now LTIR cap space for, for Weber and Price and, and whatsoever, and now it just feels like Tampa Bay is just going to do it all over again. Because if if I'm correct, Mark, Marco, correct me if anything, but they could bring in someone, another player on LTIR that, that won't end up counting for the playoff run, right? That's like 8.5 million or 9.5 million LTIR cap space that they're gaining. Well, that, that totally depends on, on where they are. So if they, they would have to acquire another player that made that much, that would be on LTIR simultaneously in that moment. Like it would take an absolutely perfect world to make that conspiracy theory happen. I think at this point, what it is, is they're going to use LTIR for eight to 10 weeks. The reason why they were able to use LTIR last year was because he was out the whole season and then came back for the playoffs. Because even if he plays one game before coming back, he comes off LTIR and they still have to be cap cap compliant in the last game. So you wouldn't be able to bring in a high-priced player if the player you're using LTIR on isn't out for the whole season. In Kucherov's case, he's going to come back probably after the Olympics at this rate. So that's the beauty of, the, of, of having an Olympic break is that the season ends in April. End of April, the 29th of April, if I'm not mistaken, despite starting in October. So... It, it's going to help teams with 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 injuries like this. It's going to help players kind of rebound as if it was a second season uh, in February. It, it's going to be really good uh, and unpredictable. Um, so expect to see him back by that. And 
yeah, we'll see what happens. But Tampa Bay, as of now, they're they're sitting at three, three and one, seven points in seven games. Like, I, I guess we should just touch on it a bit. Like the 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 crazy start to the season. We're seeing teams undefeated teams at the top. We're seeing teams at the bottom of the standings that we thought would be higher up. I'm right off the top of my head, Colorado, who's sitting at two wins in six games with four points, uh, even Vegas with the same exact record, and Toronto. What to say about Toronto? We, we know Montreal is bad, but Toronto, we've had jerseys thrown on the ice. I mean, of those teams, a lot of them got weaker, though. It's worth mentioning, right? Like, Vegas right now is without Pacioretty. That's a huge blow to them. That's that's their best goal scorer, right? Um, Tampa Bay... Well, they're already without Kucherov, and there's a lot of players they had to let go from last year already. So there's there's difficulty there. A lot of teams that are stumbling. Montreal, lots of injuries compared to last year, a lot of departures. And then there's Toronto, who's just inexplicably bad. <laughs> they didn't lose a single player, really, uh, other than McCann, who they acquired for 24 hours. It was... It's the same roster, basically. So it's in their case, I don't think it's a player issue. I think it's a coaching issue. And I think, you know, you can make a prediction on that. I think Sheldon Keefe is probably the first NHL coach to get fired this year if they're not above 500 by the 15-game mark. I, I don't think there's much patience right now in Toronto. I think they need to utilize this core now. And if he's not the right guy to do it, it's best to make that move immediately. That would make a lot of sense, and we have teams on on the other side, the the top of the standings, like Edmonton. They're five and zero. Oh. We saw McDavid; he's putting up what McDavid numbers, right? At this point, I, I believe he has thirteen points in five games. Yeah, but you see, they added secondary scoring this off season for the first time in a long time, guaranteed five on five secondary scoring, and that has really been the bread and butter of Zach Hyman so far this year for them. He's just been absolute butter. And pulling URV seems to have started the season very strong as well. So they're getting more scoring than just the usual Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid trio. They're getting, you know, five, six players in their forward lines on the score sheet regularly, and their defensemen are getting active as well. Um, so it, it's very interesting. Uh, I think Edmonton... Really, it's going to come down to goaltending for them. If they're going to be able to improve that position at some point in the near future, a lot of these guys are signed to contracts that aren't set to expire for a while. So if this team can keep it together, that's pretty interesting moving forward. Um, you know, another team that's really surprising a lot of people is the Buffalo Sabres. I feel like that's just a very confusing team for everybody right now. That does not make much sense. Um, nobody's really coming out of the woodwork for them. I think that it's a, a very team-related effort, and the goaltenders have been excellent. Tukarski and uh, Anderson have been lights out uh, in terms of numbers. So they're well-built from no one's point of view, and yet absolutely killing everybody in terms of effort. Um, and a lot of the games that we've seen so far this year it's been a completely different ball game. I just they don't quit on games. Uh, absolutely relentless on the puck. Uh, if they can keep it up, you know, sky's the limit for them. They could potentially 
continue this into the playoffs. But word of caution, they also started like 15, 6, and 3 uh, a couple of years ago and then completely bombed it after that and finished right in front of the Habs in the standing. So it could always be worse. Uh, so I'll be very tentative before I crown Buffalo a playoff team. So I'm just going to say it's looking good. And especially in the Atlantic, like you have teams like we mentioned it, Toronto, we have teams like Boston, even Tampa Bay, they didn't start like rolling yet. So we'll see what happens. But Buffalo as of now, uh, standing second in the Atlantic, uh, second to Florida, who's in first six. Well, and that's, that's who I wanted to talk about. That's Florida. I think yeah. that's insane. That's ins- somehow Bobrovsky has come back to life. He woke up. <laughs> he just was like, oh, I have a good team. Let's go. And I have a good salary, it's... so let's just earn it. <laughs> My goodness. And everybody thought that the top three for rookie of the year this year was going to be Spencer Knight, Cole Caulfield, and, you know, it. it Cole, uh, sorry, Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegers. Um, those three have really started slow this season. And Spencer Knight hasn't been getting the amount of games that everybody thought he was going to get because Bobrovsky has started off so well. That's creating a lot of surprises for Rookie of the Year. Uh, but definitely for Florida, it's a fun surprise because they now have stability on the back end and constant scoring from a pretty dynamic top nine, uh, which included rookie Anton Lundell. And now we're just basically waiting to see, are they going to get is this just a, a really strong start to the season? Are they going to be able to sustain it? And really, it's going to depend on their defense. If their defense can keep up with the offense, um, and early signs show that that's really positive, uh, Aaron Ekblad has been up in the offense a lot more. He's looking really good. Um, if they can keep that going, that is a team that's going to be challenging for the President's Trophy. Yeah, I feel like I feel it's like their division to lose this year, especially the added pieces like... They added Sam Reinhardt, who's like kind of under the radar and no one really talked about it. And now he's playing bottom nine minutes because they're so deep. And they have guys like like Thornton and Hornquist on their fourth line. So that's experience, that's depth. Uh, we'll see. And that tandem uh, in Nets, uh, whenever Bobrovsky like slows down or maybe has a rough patch, he has rookie Spencer Knight who killed it in playoffs last year so we'll see it's going to be an interesting team to look uh to look at their games for sure and i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if they they win the division this year well let's talk about a team that may not win the division this year let's go look at the half schedule over the next few uh, days until we come back for the podcast next week let's start off with thursday uh they're facing off against the san jose sharks saturday against the la kings Sunday, they have an afternoon game against the Anaheim Ducks, and then they return from their West Coast trip for Tuesday here in Montreal, where they'll face off against the Detroit Red Wings. Before we leave off again, I want to make sure you know our social media, at TheHockeyFell, that's D-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W on Twitter. Attic can be found at really at a B. Mark can be found at the Hockey Expert, and of course at his site, scrimmagesdash.com. And of course, with many appearances at TSN 690. I'm Adrian Cordero. You catch me right here on the show, and we'll catch me and all of you next week. Cheers. Cheers.